2: What's going to happen tonight? What's going to
0: happen? We're going to whoop them. Have you gotten drama yet? What's up, y'all? Welcome on Into the Go 24 7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a very pleasant. Thursday afternoon here in Godzone, Knoxville, Tennessee. Of course, I say pleasant uh, weather-wise, not necessarily pleasant football-wise, but the Vols will try to atone for that beginning this weekend. I don't think that you can atone for a Florida loss by uh, by beating UTSA, Texas-San Antonio, uh, but it's the only opponent you can play this week. So you, you got to play what's in front of you. You want to try to win the game. That's what Tennessee's going to try to do. Hope you're doing well in your life, whatever you're doing. Hope everything is well. Hope uh, you've had a good week. Hope you haven't had the uh, bit of a hangover from that debacle in the swamp. Hope that you uh, have been able to move forward with your life, seeing that there are other things out there other than than football, which it feels like in the South and in, in the fall sometimes maybe it's not. But uh, regardless, hope you got your priorities straight. Hope everything is right in your life and hope you are ready for another Fun edition of the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Going to be joined by the full crew. I will read down the list as it appears to me on this Zoom call. That would be Ben McKee, Patrick Brown, and Ryan Callahan. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing great. How are y'all? Doing
1: all right. Uh, West, that, we don't tell that, people there's that, that good, huh? Yeah, we're all doing that good, huh? <laughs> well, I was going to say, West, we don't tell people there are things other than football and, and life. Otherwise, well, they wouldn't be listening to this podcast, right? Well,
0: no, there's also basketball and baseball and women's athletics. Oh, there's so. all kinds of other things in the world. Of course, they're all sports-related, and you can find all of them at govals 247com but there are right. other things in life, right? Allegedly, some people have children, you know, they're whatever. They're married, you know. I mean, they go to church. I mean, whatever, but there's other things. But mostly in life, the most important things are the things we discuss here on this podcast. And what we're discussing today... Of course, is Tennessee football the Vols hosting? <clears throat> excuse me, UTSA, Texas, San Antonio, another team that has not had quite the start to the season it expected to have. Right there at uh, four o'clock Eastern, uh, I think SEC Network I believe has the has the call, so it- it'll be interesting. A lot of people thought Tennessee would be undefeated at this point in the season. Of course. Uh, I Think all four of us picked Tennessee to win the game in Gainesville. I didn't pick the Vols to cover, but I picked them to win. And I think we all picked them to win. And that's obviously not what happened. You can't go play that game again. You, you can't go uh, re. You can't go redo that. That's not how life works. You got to move forward. Tennessee will be playing UTSA this week, and on Thursday, uh, we heard a little bit about some players who may or may not be playing in the game. Again, this is Josh Heipel discussing injuries. So take this for what it's worth, which is usually not a lot, uh, if I'm being honest. He, he the guy's pretty truthful about everything except for when he speaks about injuries. And that's, you know, that's whatever. That's his prerogative. That's how it goes in college athletics. Nonetheless, what he said was that Cooper Mays, Tennessee's first team center, who has not played this season, will be a game time decision. Uh, I still think he's not going to play. My stance now is I think he's not going to play until I actually see him play we'll wait and see when that is different news on the other guys though Danico Slaughter starting corner who who missed the game at Florida and was missed badly during the game at Florida Uh, He apparently, with his foot injury, uh, will be available on Saturday. We'll see if that's the case. We don't know. And then with Gerald Mincy, who played on special teams but not on the offensive line last week after getting a uh, citation for simple possession of marijuana, which should be legal in all 50 states but is not legal in this state, therefore it is a citation. Unfortunately, there are laws. When you break them, there are consequences. And one of the consequences Gerald Mincy had to face was he could play special teams, but not on the offensive line. So we'll see. Josh Heupel said he is available this week. He has been practicing, and we'll see on Saturday what that means. Fellas, what do we make of those comments regarding those three players and how much impact, if any, would that have on this weekend?
3: Um, I, I agree with you, Wes, and I think I probably – the other two will as well. That um, I, I doubt Cooper Mays is going to play. I mean, we'll see, but – uh, it's kind of like we'll believe it and we'll see it at this point, and um, you know he he's got to feel like he is able to play at the level he needs to play at to be available to play. Um, Mincy, uh, I think he'll get back in the rotation. I don't know if I don't know if you can start a guy right after that, but then again, Jeremiah Crawford didn't play very well at Florida, so yeah. um, that that would be a. If you're making a list of positions that needed to have uh, a change in starter or rotation, I think that one would be pretty high up the list.
0: Yeah, well, um, and, what, what, and what's slaughter. worse, What's worse? marijuana possession or that performance on Saturday? Well, you got to weigh those two things, like which one is ultimately more detrimental to the team. Well,
3: to your point, one broke the law, and we don't want to condone breaking the law here on the Go Vols 247 podcast. I never break the law, particularly when I'm in my car on the interstate. Agreed. Um, driving places. Uh, so let's go ahead and get that out of the way right now. Um, but yeah, I think slaughter is going to be important because UTSA will, you know, they'll, they'll throw the ball out. They'll throw those, those perimeter screens that Tennessee fans hate now. And, um, you know, they need somebody that can get off blocks and and make plays in the open field. And, um, he's a physical corner there that they need. And uh, I'll be interested to see, is is he starting, um, does Gabe Judy Lally continue to start is, you know, I'm sure, uh, people would love to see Kamal Haddon get bumped. Does that happen? We'll see. Um, but, uh, they need, some of those guys back i was thinking about this the other day i mean you look at uh, i did a, a ranking of the most important players that on tennessee's team going into the season and i think i had cooper mays like third and i think i had keenan peely like seventh. Mm-hmm. um so those are two very important guys that they've missed i think i had Mincy up there around 10 nico slaughter was around 15 so those are guys that they didn't have the other night and you know you're not going to have a, a full complement of players every game but um when you're missing important players it, it, it has an impact on you so uh they need to get some of these guys back and Uh, I'm sure they're hoping to get a couple of them available this weekend.
2: Yeah, I I don't differ from anything that you all said. I I think the one interesting one is Danico Slaughter. As Wes mentioned, uh, Josh Heupel did say he would be available, but there is a difference between being available and actually playing. So I'm putting him in the camp of Cooper Mays for this week, not long-term, but in terms of I believe he is playing when, when I see him play. Just not a whole lot of reason to to risk it with Denico, in my opinion. Uh, not to say or suggest that this game is like an Austin P of sorts. Uh, it is stiffer competition, kind of right there. Uh, a nice in-between FCS opponent and SEC opponent, UTSA. It's it's been well documented. That's a nice football program, even if they've gotten off to a a slow start this year. Uh, so it, it's a game that Tennessee should win by double digits, quite frankly. Uh, the line has even moved i believe to like three touchdowns t- today in terms of 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 tennessee being the, the favorite or it's moved in tennessee's favor for sure it's 21 and
3: a half right now i, right, I literally it just opened looked at the post matchups 18 and a half
2: right so it's it's gone up 3 points and and typically that's an indicator that somebody is not playing and oh frank wilson their starting quarterback has been a uh, uh, questionable all week with with turf toe and and they have their own decisions to weigh like do you want to try and pull off the upset in knoxville with how tennessee has played the last couple of weeks or, or do you try and save him for conference play um but you know just my my point being that there's really no need to press Denico slaughter into action if he's not as close to 100 uh, percent as he can be and on the cooper mays front I, i've quit trying to, to guess on that one i, I was way off <laughs> reading in between the lines of of Josh Heupel last week. So I'm not going to attempt to do that again and just simply agree with Wes. I believe he's playing when I see him play, uh, although I do think it'll come down to how he feels in, in warm-ups, just like it was at Florida.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of the same for me and uh, not a whole lot to add. I, I don't think we'll see Cooper Mays on Saturday, if I had to guess right now. Uh, but like you said, Ben, it's, it's kind of – I think the ball's sort of in his court. It's sort of a, uh, at some point it, it becomes a, a pain tolerance. And um, just, you know, do you feel right? Do you feel comfortable playing kind of thing? And, and I'm not sure if, if it's a close call at all that he will he will chance it for this game. But you would think you might want to knock off some rust if you're trying to come back for the South Carolina game. So that's the one thing I'll be interested in seeing is even if he doesn't start in this game, does he does he try to get a few snaps at some point just so he's not, you know, playing full contact live football for the first time, coming off that surgery uh, against South Carolina in a, in a really important game for Tennessee next weekend. So, I don't think we'll see him. I, I as of right now, I don't think we'll we'll see uh, Denico Slaughter this weekend. Uh, I, I would guess he sits out another week. But there's you know maybe an outside chance he's back for this one. I do think we will probably see Gerald Mincy, uh, based on everything I've heard. That sounds like just a one one week partial suspension i guess as it turned out last week but uh, i think he will be back and i think there's a you know at least a real chance you, you see him in the starting lineup we'll, we'll certainly see about that in pregame warmups. warm-ups but i i would not be shocked at all with the way Jeremiah Crawford played, as we alluded to earlier. That, That's what I'm saying uh, is ten- is
0: that is that better is, is that worse than getting cited from marijuana possession? That performance well, because I mean, you
1: didn't let your team down.
2: Uh, did. Well, you? I'm, it seemed like you you both kind of let your team down just in different ways. It's 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 not the same. Let's not even entertain this I, conversation. I,
0: I'm t- I'm, no, no, no. I'm talking about in terms of <laughs> trying to win football
2: games. I think well, it's a valid woman, conversation. Well, we don't need well, to lump JJ Crawford into the Gerald Mincy i'm not L- lumping the them th- that's of, what you are doing by saying that, that is not what i'm doing
0: i'm saying the level of punishment
1: which, is one game suspension like that's that's what it is so i think uh, he's is it done his he's done his time and i mean what are you saying a citation like that should have a multiple game suspension i i I don't i don't think i, yeah, I don't think you'll see players advocating for that uh teammates of his or anything like that so yeah i, I think he's Kind of done his time, and we'll we'll be back this week. But we'll we'll see. I could be wrong.
0: I won't tolerate this slander on my on my words, though. What I said was, which one actually hurt the team worse? Because <laughs> I mean, that performance was. I, listen, the, the, a lot of guys did a lot of things that didn't help Tennessee win that football game. Um, but I never thought that I would see Crawford struggle that much against that Florida defense. I just didn't – that was kind of out there for me. There were a lot of guys who got beat. It seemed like every time they dropped back, at least one offensive lineman got beat pretty pretty good. But between that and some penalties, a lot of it – I mean, you know, Crawford. Maybe that's the kind of game that, that – that, it was so bad that it motivates him to do some things differently. Maybe he plays better from this point forward. Maybe we, don't know, right? We, we, we never know. Uh, unlike Joel Klatt uh, from Fox sports, we don't already know exactly what Tennessee is and is not after, after three games of the season. So, um, but I, I think it's interesting. I think the plan with Mays, and this is the last thing I'll say this, I I, I have a theory, not a, not a fact, a theory, that originally the plan may have been try to get him back after the bye week. And then once they realized, oh, my God, this offensive line is struggling badly, perhaps that put a greater sense of urgency on can he get back because uh, this team needs him. I, I think everyone is in that program is obviously disappointed and I would suggest pretty surprised at the way they've played to start this season. I, I don't think – I know there was the Aaron Beasley comment after the game on Saturday. I I don't still don't know what he meant exactly. I don't want to. I'm not going to get inside his I, head. But I I, 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 don't, I don't think I, I was don't, told he
1: might have been confused about the question. I think that's
0: what actually I
2: what happened. Think. Well, of course you're going to say that in hindsight.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's, that's true. exactly what you would say. That's exactly how you would clean up that mess. But I, I think the people in the Tennessee program and Hyple has said this. There, you expect some things to be sloppy early in every season, right? Like. You don't want that, but you expect that. The level to which they have struggled in some areas, I think, has been a big surprise for them. And not a good surprise, not a a bad surprise. I don't think they expected to get completely whipped up front the way they did at times last week. Am I wrong there? Tell me if I'm wrong.
1: I'm not saying they expected it, but I do think last week is kind of what we thought around the middle of camp might be a possibility, right, without Cooper Mays. That but against that, that team, off,
0: but against that team, against Florida.
1: I, well, I, I think the mistake we might have made is just underestimating Florida because they don't look – and and part of me thought that going into the game. I, I should have listened to my instincts on that more and, and and given Florida more credit because I really thought Florida wasn't good enough to win going into the game. I just thought it would take a three-turnover game or something like that for Tennessee to lose that one. But I, I think we, we, we've routinely slept on Florida's talent a little bit just because they're not always signing top five top 10 classes when the reality is you look at their roster they always have some future pros and yeah Ben made this point last week and it's fair their defensive line was not you know littered with guys that I I expect to be early round draft picks or anything like they sometimes have been they don't they don't have a a bunch of you know future first rounders at corner but they still got some good players at, at those positions and uh just the the step up in competition I just don't think Tennessee faced anything the first two weeks that told us how they might handle a team like that uh especially on the road and and the other the other thing that we you know I, I I've I've shrugged off the weight of the series being a factor uh in, in the Tennessee Florida in my Tennessee Florida picks but I shouldn't have shrugged off the significance of playing a night game at the swamp which is um you know that that was that surprised me just how good that environment was. And it, it uh, considering the, the level of excitement Florida fans had about that team anyway, and they clearly didn't handle that well and got rattled by the environment. So I, I, think, I think those two things together, we maybe sort of underestimated. So I, I'm not, yeah, again, Tennessee didn't expect to have that much of an issue on the offensive line. But I think around the middle of camp, if you'd asked some people, they probably would have thought that was possible because they were having some issues on the offensive line. So I think the makings of that were there, but sure, you never expect to play that badly.
0: I wasn't surprised yeah. at all by the performance by the crowd at Florida. I was surprised by Tennessee's poor response to it. Well, frankly, that's what I was surprised. Right.
1: By. That's that. Yeah, that's more what I was getting at. I mean, but yeah, it, it was it was a better environment than I than I did expect though. I, I thought that crowd might be slow to get into it all the way, and they were they were pretty ant from the start.
2: Well, and, and Patrick, I, I kind of walked away from. Tennessee's loss, thinking that, okay, it makes sense why we heard some of the things that we heard during fall camp, and and that is that the defensive line was dominating the offensive line for, for most of camp, especially in those first two scrimmages, and now it makes sense because through three games, this isn't a good Tennessee offensive line right now. It may prove to be at some point. Uh, if, if Cooper Mays can come back and if Gerald Mincy can quit being a knucklehead, uh, it, it may take a step forward. Uh, and, and maybe at some point you are able to get some young guys in there. I asked Josh Heupel on Thursday uh, about the, the younger offensive linemen. They have several that uh, are developing, and, and the offensive line position is probably the most developmental position on the entire team. Uh, that's usually a, a two to three if year if not longer project Uh, and he said the the guys that are playing now they've got to play better but then those guys behind them need to keep developing and and prepare for for their moment so uh, the offensive line may get better but right now it's not good And, and it makes sense why you heard the things that you heard in fall camp and the defensive line I think where we went wrong in assessing the team is we thought that that meant that, okay, maybe the defensive front is is just that good. And I don't think they're as bad as they played against Florida. I think what we saw in the second half is more of what they are than what we saw in the first half. But they're not as far ahead as we thought. We chalked up Tennessee's offensive line struggles to being, okay, the defensive front. Like, it's really, really good. And I I'll put my hand up. I was up front leading that parade, I was absolutely thinking that. And I think that's been the biggest surprise to me is is that maybe this front seven, uh, and, and who knows, maybe the, that first half against Florida was a one-off, um, but that, that's been my biggest surprise and, and kind of my big thought that I've had this week is, okay, that, that defensive front wasn't beating up on the offensive line in camp because they're so much better than the offensive line. It was just simply them taking advantage of a bad offensive line.
3: Yeah, Ben, I think you're right. I mean, I think the, the first two games sort of masked some of the, the deficiencies on on the offensive line. I mean, they ran the ball really well, but they were playing Virginia, who's you no know, they're not very good. I mean, they were picked to finish last in the ACC for a reason. They haven't won a game yet. Probably won't beat NC State tomorrow night. Um and then Austin P who, who is an FCS team that you know FCS Austin P did beat ETSU by 60 the other day, but yeah, um still it's an FCS team. And even in the Austin P game, there were moments where you're like, this doesn't look great on the offensive line. Um, and, and it certainly showed up against Florida, which I, I don't know if Florida has a bunch of dynamic, disruptive guys up front, but they're big. Um, uh, and they've added some some transfers there that helped. And uh, Cam Jackson, I think, was one of the guys that Cole Kublik was hailing on, on Twitter as a guy that made a huge impact on the game uh, and gave Tennessee trouble, particularly the inside guy, the interior guys, trouble throughout the night. On the defensive line, again, I think they they probably just benefited from playing two bad teams. I mean, we knew that you know Virginia's offensive line was bad, and uh, we knew that Austin Peay's uh, offensive line was an FCS team, but Tennessee overwhelmed those. It wasn't like they only dominated them. I mean, it was a mismatch from from the jump. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think the Tennessee defensive line sort of got hit in the mouth a little bit the other night with, Flo- you know, with Florida, and, and you know they responded, but by the time they responded, it was you know twenty six to seven or whatever it was. So um I, i'm much less worried about the defensive line i think they'll probably be fine long term um I, I think the offensive line is is probably what's making the season-long outlook different for me um because i think there are other parts of this offense that should continue to show signs of life i mean running back been good Jalen wright's been really good i think he's been tennessee's best player this season you know joe Milton in receivers they caught some things going in the second half there maybe that's the start of something um you know but can they work around this offensive line when they get into SEC play that's the big concern for me and um, and, and, and to me there's still questions about the secondary too you know they didn't tackle well um, you know but they also weren't tested at all down the field hardly. that's you know when they gave up 63 points South Carolina it was like big play after big play after big play this weekend they're gonna get a team that, that will take some shots and, and you wonder how they're gonna uh, handle some of those things and um, so they're, they're still you know the, the, the positions that we thought could be question marks still are. Um, uh, but clearly I think the overall level of this team I mean I don't, I don't know if about for you guys but clearly I came out of this, this Florida game thinking this team is not as good as we thought they were Um, now you can get better I mean we saw Florida lose to Utah it was all doom and gloom for them and then two weeks later they came out and played inspired they played clean uh, they were the aggressor they had a good game plan they executed they did all the things that you need to do to win and now Tennessee's got to do the same they got to come out and play clean this week they got to execute they got to block and they got to tackle better that's, that's really what it gets down to and um, you know, this is a team in UTSA that's one and two, but, you know, they play close games. They've got some guys, they got some good players. Um, and if Tennessee continues to be more of the same, it's going to be a fight for them. And, and that's not going to make anybody around here any happier, even if they, you know, do end up winning.
0: The last thing I'll say before we go to break here is that we've heard this for years about this, this Josh Heupel style of offense, which is a little bit kind of like that Bryles offense, but a little different. Um, it's got, you know, some of that, some of the air rate. It's a combination of different things. But that style of offense, we've heard this Kirk Herbstreit said a couple times. We've heard other guys say it. The only way to really, really bother that offense is to beat the hell out of it up front. If you beat the hell out of that offensive line up front, then it's really, really hard to do the things that make that offense so special. Because it it, it's, it plays in so much space that it, it, it's going to give you problems unless you you know kind of you know I'm looking for the best word strangle it in the cradle I'm just calling it that like you got to kill it before it gets going right that's how you that's well, how you hurt this offense that's what you do if you can do that then it's not going to give you problems. But if you don't do that, it's going to give you problems. And and we're seeing this now that a lot of Tennessee's problems, they're just – you can look at them and people say, Milton, he could play better. The receivers had a couple drop passes. I get that. Some penalties downfield. Got to clean some stuff up. But it is just staring you in the face when you watch film. It is the offensive line. There is no doubt about that in my mind. And I'm not what I would call a football expert. But you look at that film, and it is just pretty clear this offensive line is not giving this team a chance to be as good as it maybe could be.
3: Well, I am a football expert, right, Ben? Yes. Thank you. I'm a baseball Uh,
2: expert. Ryan's a recruiting expert. And Wes is an expert on everything. Wes
3: is an expert on condoning <laughs> marijuana use and now murder, apparently, in, in the Goval Two Four Seven podcast. I do murdering so I, I, I,
0: I, I don't condone breaking the law, but I do say when I don't think a law is sensical.
3: You also just you, you just also condone strangulation. So this is we need to put the parental advisory on this one. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm, no, I mean maybe. yeah, I mean it's hard. To, it's hard to in any offense, it's hard to move the ball and, and put up yards and, and score points when you don't. Um, when you're struggling on the offensive line and, and uh, Josh Heupel was asked last night on, on vol calls about uh, all the quick perimeter throws they're throwing and, and all this stuff. And he basically said what we've said here and that's, you know, the, those plays are extensions of the run game and a way to protect your offensive line. I mean, he straight up said it that if you don't feel like you can sit back in the pocket, every pass play and uh, pat the ball and have time to throw the ball down the field, then you know, you're going to call some of those plays. And that's why they've got the running backs more involved. I think like I said the other day, the running backs have almost as many targets for three games this season as they had all last season last year, they had a better offensive line. They had a a guy that started for the, you know, the Chicago bears who are a dumpster fire, I should say. Yeah. Um, But he is starting for them. He was the number one, you know, know, number 10 pick in the draft. And, you know, Jerome Carvin was a good player. Obviously Cooper Mays was, um, was out there as well. And Javante Spragans was, was playing better than he is right now. I think that that's pretty clear. And, um, you know, they were just better on the offensive line and they had a quarterback that when things broke down could, you know, improvise. And, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, we knew we knew that that Joe Milton wasn't going to be a guy that's run all over the place and and making Bryce Young kind of plays. And uh, I do think he's not getting the credit he deserves for making some throws under pressure the other night, yes. where all three of his big plays that they hit, he had a guy in his face, he had to you know fall away from pressure, move away from pressure, step up in the pocket because somebody was getting beat. Um, and Tennessee was getting beat with three and four man rushes, and mm-hmm. um, that's you just can't have that happen. I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard to stay ahead of the change, which is obviously so important for this offense when. Your offensive line's jumping and uh, holding and uh, when you're getting sacks because guys just give you it up front. I mean, uh, you can X and O's and scheme everything up all day. Uh, and, and the play that, you know, the interception was a great play. Now, Joe Milton has to eat that ball. He can't throw that up like he did. But they had a scheme set up. They had a place, a shot play schemed up there. Out of the huddle, we're running this play, then we're running this play. we seem seen do it countless times in Tennessee where they come out, start a drive, have one play to set up the second play. Uh, they have guys running wide open down the field. Well, Swirl White, we don't know if he's open. Ronald is wide open, but Keaton's it open. Keaton's you, open. You, yeah, you you Keaton, Keaton would he'd still be running. Um, there's nobody on the half of the field, but it doesn't matter because your right guard gets beat, and then you 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 don't work a double team the right way. So when your quarterback feels the pressure and tries to get away from it, he goes right into another guy who plants him, and he you know he should throw the football. But that's just the part. That's just like you know that's just kind of where this where it is when you have bad offensive line play it, you can scheme things up and, and have great play calls and all that but guys get beat guys get beat and, and it really uh can lead to disastrous results and and uh, i think that's the concern because there are other things that if you're Tennessee you you feel like you can clean up like you can clean up the tackling like you know i, I don't think that that's you know a huge issue we'll see if it continues to be one but you know the offensive line it's not like as we said there's, you can't go out and sign like a free agent or somebody on the streets or bring in a transfer right now or anything of like that. You know, you got who you got. And um whether that's you know, do they need to give some of those young guys a chance? I don't know. Uh I guess they probably need to get mid back in the lineup and probably get Cooper Mays back in the lineup. That's probably the best they could do at this point.
0: And until then they're gonna have to keep throwing the ball to the perimeter on that quick stuff because that's how you try to generate offense when you can't protect your quarterback. That's sort of what you have to do. So but I think that leads into a big topic that I want to have in the second segment, which is one of the toughest decisions coaches have to make every single season. And usually after a loss, maybe after two losses, you reach a point where you have to start making some of these decisions. And we're going to discuss those decisions here, or at least those questions here in just a second after we go pay some bills, listen to products, services, and house ads, et cetera. And then come right back here on the Go 247 24-7 podcast, hashtag ad. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here just a couple miles away from Neyland Stadium where Tennessee will host UTSA, Texas-San Antonio on Saturday. The Vols trying to get back on track and uh, against an opponent that they the Vol should get back on track against. Nothing's a given. That team's got – if it's got its full allotment of players, it's a dangerous team. Problem UTSA has had is that it's also not had anywhere near its full allotment of players this season, and we'll see how much that changes on Saturday because those guys have to weigh – what they want to do now with this opportunity versus their conference play, which is the probably the bigger priority. So uh, we'll discuss all of that I imagine later this week. we will have our, our friend JJ Perez from uh, 24/7s UTSA site We'll have him on our game day preview podcast. Uh, here in a, in a day or two. So we'll have that to you before the game on Saturday, certainly. And we got a lot to discuss on this episode, though. Before we do that, just a quick reminder, quick request. Please go in there, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening for free on GoVols247.com, no problem with that. No wrong way to consume this podcast. Helps us out the most, though, is if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world, you can cast the Fine Pod. You can find this GoVolves 24 7 podcast. We do this for free and we're happy to do so. But since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Tell people that you know. Tell people that uh, you only sort of kind of know. Tell friends. Tell acquaintances. Tell strangers who might become future acquaintances or friends. Tell anyone you see in your life that is a Tennessee fan. You would not believe how quickly this thing grows when y'all do that. I look at the numbers every week, and I'm telling you, it's it's helping. So thank you for doing that stuff if you're already doing that stuff. Uh, so thank you if you're doing it. If you're not, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Question, as Dwight Schrute might say, guys, question. Uh, what point – there is a point in every season, most seasons, when coaches have a game that their team loses, it changes the complexion of the season, it changes things that you thought you you, you knew about your team, and it makes you have to start adjusting things. And you reach that point in every season – most seasons, I should say. If you're undefeated and things like that, you never you probably never reach this point. But you have to start weighing the now versus – the later. And how much different things will be if you make changes now, how much will they impact the team now and how much will they impact the team in the future? If you're one of these national title or SEC title or bust guys, um and you think, well, if this team, what's the difference in this team being maybe 7 and 5 and like 8 and 4 or something? Do you 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 would probably lean toward playing some younger guys now who might take some lumps Uh, But then later on, be in a better position uh, to either, A, be really good, or, B, you see what they can and can't do, and you can adjust your recruiting and you can build your team differently. That's one line of thinking. The other line of thinking is, screw that, you play every week that you can and the best position you can to win that game. And those are the factors that coaches have to start weighing. Like, if I've got a senior out there who I know his limitations, I know what he can and can't do, Uh, And the things that he can't do, they're going to prevent you from winning a championship. But the things that he can do will make you more competitive maybe a little bit now. So you have to start weighing these things about, do I start putting in some of these freshmen and sophomores, high upside kids, and see what they got, even if it hurts me a little bit now, or do i just stick to playing these vets do i trust my original instincts going into the season and do i keep everything together for the here and now it is a nightmare decision i do not uh, i'm glad i don't have to be the one making those decisions just to be honest and i don't know that tennessee absolutely has to make those decisions yet but i think they got to start thinking about it some things that happened in that game guys are are some faces that we've seen before make those same mistakes and they will prevent you from being the program Tennessee wants to be. So I don't know what Tennessee does, how quick that needs to be, but I guess I'll start with Pat. What, what, where do you think Heupel? Where do you think Heupel's headspace is with those sorts of questions? Because they're big ones.
3: Well, I, I don't, I don't think they're anywhere close to that, uh, and I don't think coaches are wired that way, and they can't be wired that way in this day and age. Not a bit. I mean, you're one bad, yeah, you're one bad season away from getting fired. I mean, Tennessee could come yep. out and say, come out Thursday and say, we're playing our freshman class, playing Nico, we're playing all the. Freshman offensive lineman playing Nathan Leacock, you know, down the list, you know, we're gonna the whole secondary is gonna be freshmen. They can do that. They're probably gonna go three and nine. They might beat UConn in November. I mean, and if you go three and nine, you're probably gonna get fired, at Tennessee. I'm just saying. I mean, that that's just not how coaches are wired. Um, I'm not now, talking about spots? that extreme.
0: I'm I'm not talking about that extreme for what it's worth. That's why I want to set this up differently. I'm talking about do start do you start tinkering with it a little bit.
3: Well, I think you need to start tinkering at different positions, but, I mean, guys have to go earn it, and guys have to show you they're ready. I mean, you know, Ricky Gibson got in the game the other night, and he had, he had played well, 11 plays. He had a missed tackle on one, but didn't set the edge on another play. So, I mean, you, you put young guys out there, they're going to make mistakes. Um, it's just how much you're willing to live with those mistakes, and are those mistakes going to cost you football games? You know, those plays that he made, and I'm, I don't mean to pick on Ricky Gibson because I think he's going to be a great player. Um, it, it's, you know, those are six- to seven-yard games. If you put a guy in there it's going to give up a 50 yard touchdown that's obviously a bigger difference so if you're gonna you know you put a young running back in there who can't doesn't know how to pass protect he's not in the right place you can get your quarterback knocked out and then you got a whole other massive issues um, uh, to deal with so uh, maybe at some positions yes and maybe there's certain guys uh, uh, in terms of the quote-unquote youth movement it's funny I've I've seen comments from Tennessee fans this week talking about how next year looks bleak yeah you also see people that are like play all the young guys where are we you know get those young guys a chance. So it's kind of like, which one do you, I mean, which, which one are you, do you, you know, which one is it? You know what I mean? So uh, I, I think in the secondary, maybe you could get some guys ready, but um, I, other than Gibson, I mean, I, I don't know that any of those guys are going to necessarily be, uh, you know, instant fixes. Now it, it's a different conversation in November. These guys continue to develop, they continue to work in practice. They get to play on special teams and get some chances to, it's maybe the the feel for the speed and the physicality of the game, um, you know. There's not, you know, there's not really any young guys ready to play on the defensive line. Other, you know, they're playing David Hobbs. He needs to play more. Uh, I think he will play more this week because Omar Norman is going to be suspended. Elijah Simmons is still out. Norman is just out for the first half. But, um, you know, yeah, there, there's I think positions where you can do that, but there's other positions on this roster where you just don't have that. You just don't have that ability. So um, that that's the question to me. But at the same time. Uh, and I know I kind of over, you know, went to one extreme there with us, but uh, these coaches have, they're, they're wired to win, and they're going to play the guys who think they're going to give themselves the best chance to win. Now, if you want to debate does Kamal had to give you a better chance to win than playing Ricky Gibson, that's debatable. I mean,
0: that's that's that was one know, of the ones I'm I'm thinking about. That, very that's, I mean,
3: that that that's a different debate for maybe a different podcast. But um, you know, you're, you're going to play the guys who give you the best chance to win. If that changes from Game two to game five to game eight, then then you make those decisions. But um, th- there's not going to be oh we're we're going to play this game this Saturday for 2024. It's just not how it works for these coaches, and they can't be out right of that way in this day and age because things can uh, turn south quickly. And just I mean, just look at Dan Mullen a couple years ago. Florida was three and one, just beating Tennessee bad. They were had played Alabama close, and then that season careened off a cliff, and he was fired two months later. So um, that, that's that's just how. Coaches have to operate, and uh, it's easy to sit here and say, Let's play all these young guys. But um, yeah, the, the, those coaches are in the building, they know what's going on every day uh, better than we do. So, um, you know, and, and they don't, they're not, you know, they make bad decisions. I mean, that that's clear, but um, it, it's kind of hard to think about next year when, I mean, you, you're trying to win this game in 48 hours.
1: And, and I don't think this staff. I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think they could go out and lose to South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Alabama, and they still wouldn't talk about a mass youth movement. That just, I don't think they're wired that way. Um, and, and to Patrick's point, I don't think most coaching staffs these days are wired that way. But I think you saw some insight into to the way Tim Banks is thinking about this coming off the Florida game when I asked him this week about um, whether, whether you know, they might open things up in the secondary, have more open competition for those cornerback spots or other spots in the secondary. And he... he he kind of said yeah we compete all the time but then you know by the end of the answer is pretty clear to me it was a lot of we're pro- you're probably gonna see the same guys um now if we keep struggling then that's where you might you know the, you want those twos pushing the pushing the starters but you know he didn't come away from that you know sounding like he was looking to make any changes even even among the veterans that they have at cornerback you know we'll see I, I could still see Kamal Haddon maybe getting shuffled out of the starting lineup this week but if if he does, it's probably going to be Warren Burrell or someone like that starting in his place. So um, we'll 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 see what they do, but I I, I don't foresee a youth movement. And I, and to that point, I don't even see many possibilities uh, of guys who are you know on the on the cusp of, of playing a lot. You know, Ricky Gibson would be one of the exceptions. You could maybe bump up Arion Carter's workload at linebacker, but he's playing behind a second year guy and and Elijah Herring, who, who's who's also pretty young and early in his development. they're trying to. Kind of get up to speed, so I, I don't know that they have a uh, as as much motivation to to get Carter in there more when when Herring's still kind of learning his uh, learning his way through that position. And then uh, you know on the defensive line, I was surprised David Hobbs didn't get in the game uh, Saturday night at all at Florida. Apparently, I, I I thought I saw him out there at one point, but he he never played. Uh, and after playing twenty plus snaps in the first two games, uh, him not playing kind of surprised me. So he's one that you could maybe get in there more. You know, they can't even get Joshua Josephs, the second year guy um, in, in the game Saturday night. So they're like, they're, I, I just don't think this coaching staff is is going to think that way. I think it would take a, a season absolutely imploding for, for even that thought to cross their minds. And I think they're, the, the way they see it, I think they believe every goal they have is still in front of them. They could still win the East in theory if they just went out. That, um, you know, Florida's not going to finish eight no in sec play so as long as that doesn't happen or seven and one you know they they can they can run the table in conference play and win win the division so um they're they're certainly not in that line of thinking right now and and i don't think they will be even if they lose a a couple more games in the next few weeks
2: yeah a a youth movement should not even be close to considered. i mean it's it's one loss not the fourth or fifth loss late october early november if if the, the, the season really goes off the rails and it's late October, early November, and, and at that point it's a 5 6 one football team, then okay, absolutely, youth movement, get all these young guys playing time. Uh, so I, I wouldn't describe it as a youth movement, but there needs to be a personnel movement. There, there needs to be reconsiderations uh, at, at various spots of which personnel you are using. And it's like, how does Kamal Haddon not get punished? for not playing with effort, because that's what it was on that play. It was one of the most inexcusable things I've ever seen on a football field. Honestly, it was, it was. one of the worst efforts I've I've ever seen somebody tackling, and, and that should never happen for a college football player or a player in the SEC. I mean, it, it, it was absolutely pathetic. And uh, like Wes, earlier in the podcast, you were spot on. J.J. Crawford had a really, really bad night. But I'm not going to ride him because at least he was playing with effort. Mm -hmm. I I think it's disgraceful when Kamal Haddon has the ability to make plays or at least not (laughs) hip check somebody trying to tackle them, but yet he tries to hip check them and and instead in plays with zero effort. If I was a coach, I would have a really, really hard time putting Kamal Haddon back on that football field especially, and this leads me into the personnel movement more than a youth movement, Gabe Judy Lally should be playing over Kamal Haddon right now, especially yeah. after what I saw early in that game yeah. against Florida. I I, I thought the, the returns on Gabe were, were much better than the returns on Kamal Haddon. So I just don't see a lot of places on this roster where the younger guy at the position is ready to overtake the older guy, uh, like at safety right now. I know everybody's frustrated with Jalen McCullough and Wesley Walker missed some tackles against Florida, but what young safety are you going to put in over them? I think those guys have enough body of work that you could excuse that as a bad day and just say okay, Wesley don't Walker, do it again. Yes, but I, I'm I was more so making the point of like there's nobody at safety to put in. Like Jordan Thomas isn't ready. Christian Charles, is if, hurt he healthy, is, if he get healthy, if he get if he get healthy for a while, the next like
1: the next one in line is Andre Turrentine, and yeah, he's not playing much.
2: Now, now that is an interesting name, and it's it's a little curious as to why he's not receiving more of an opportunity but honestly like through three games i think tank has played fine uh and, and then i thought we- wesley walker's been off to a nice start other than the missed tackles uh, against florida so i i just don't see a lot of positions e- even like at leo like i think getting caleb herring on the field more would be great uh josh Josephs, like you said ryan but they are playing james pierce kind of over Roman Harrison right now and it's really only one Leo on the field at a time so they're already playing a guy that's young at that spot Omar Norman Amari Thomas, Bryson Eason um, Tyler Barron. Are, are you going to play Damon Hobbs over over those guys now should he be taking the reps of a Karat Garland probably so maybe so I, I'm not in that room every day uh, but and, and I'd like to see Ricky Gibson more but I also think Gabe Judy Lally is probably the one that's the, the, the more conservative player to put out there right now opposite of Danico Slaughter when Danico gets back the offensive line like what young lineman is ready to play right now there's not any young linemen that are ready to play right now so you're kind of stuck with J.J. Crawford when Gerald Mincy's in the doghouse Ollie Lane's playing center because Cooper Mays is hurt Andre Carrick is battling Ollie Lane for that left guard spot if Cooper is back and then you got John Campbell and Javante Spragans like there's no lineman after those guys that are ready to play you're not gonna play Cam Seldon or Khalifa Keith over any of the other three running backs. You can't even get Dylan Sampson on the field right now because of Jabari Small and because of Jalen Wright. And I I know everybody wants Nico. I can't wait to watch Nico play because he's a five-star. He he should be a lot of fun to watch play. But Joe Milton's not playing bad football right now. Is he playing exceptional football, perfect football? Is there room to grow? Absolutely. But he's not playing bad football to the point to where he should be benched. When when he starts – throwing interceptions right to the defensive backs like Kenny Pickett was doing on Monday Night Football or like Jalen Milrow was doing against Texas two weeks ago, then let's have that conversation. But he's actually making really good decisions and making nice throws here and there. He needs guys to, to step up a, around him to help him, and he also needs to clean up some things as well. So the, the youth movement is for November when the season has just completely gone down the toilet uh, and, and you need to flush some things out. But there should be some questions about personnel and, and using different personnel in different spots. I just, yes, you want to see the new guys because they're new and you haven't really seen them play a ton. It's exciting. I just don't think there's a lot of spots where the young guys are ready more so than the older guys. I and think to I, that point, I
1: was going to say, uh, Patrick had this great note in our uh, travel roster uh, story Saturday night during the game, uh, if, in case people missed that. Ethan Davis didn't even travel with the team. Uh, that's a guy that a lot of people thought would would be playing a lot. He's barely played the first three games and wasn't on the seventy four man travel roster. So, uh, the, just to that point, I don't. I just don't think there are a lot of guys. Those few on defense are kind of the main ones where new guys are are kind of pushing for playing time. And otherwise, it's a it's a freshman class that's mostly going to contribute. I think as the year goes on with depth and, and more so next year.
0: I think a couple things. That, quickly, the quickly that the the kindest possible interpretation of that Kamal hadn't play. I heard when I was talking to Blaine Bishop earlier this week, and he obviously knows a thing or two about playing secondary. He played in the NFL for a long time, he's a really good player. And he said the kindest possible interpretation is that Haddon was surprised that that the back had gotten that far. He expected, it's like he expected him to get tackled, expected him to get tackled, and then was like, oh crap, he's right on me now. And that's why he kind of got shocked and made the bad play he made. He was not defending him. He was saying that's the only possible interpretation he has of the play that's not like the worst thing he's ever seen. So that's one thing. And then the second thing is this. My, my point was that there are some things as coaches, if you lose games and you lose a lot of games, you're going to be in trouble no matter what. But there are things, there are ways that are time-tested and proven to royally piss off a fan base and get people to start questioning you. One of those things is to consistently, on a weekly basis, put the same player out there who makes some of the same mistakes and you never see anybody else. Because that is a glaring red flag that you have not signed and developed somebody to go out there and play better than that player. And that, when it becomes a year where you've seen that guy for time for a couple years, two, three years, and you see the same stuff, the same problems that teams consistently are exploiting – that's where you start to lose some fans because they say why have you not gotten somebody better than this guy why have you not gotten well, somebody it, better the, than that coaches guy? coaches
3: are coaches aren't gonna be making decisions based off what the fans think I mean that's just not reality um, they, they better I mean, in they, some they, cases in, uh should they though I mean that, that, that you can't I mean you can't you just can't do that that's just not how it works I mean so um, you don't. I mean, think... I guess Nick Saban did it. I guess Nick Saban did it with his quarterbacks you, against USF, right? Where he's like, "No, okay, I think we're going to bench Milrow." I don't think Saban
0: we're gonna cares. We're going to play these other
3: two guys, and you can see why these guys didn't aren't the starting quarterback. And then you go back to Milrow.
0: Yeah, I don't think Saban uh, cares guess, at all about that. I, I think maybe some coaches do. I don't think he cares.
3: Well, I mean, you you could you could say that it'd be easy. That's an example where you could say, "Well, everybody's trashed in Milro after the Texas game," and then they. They put those other two guys out there, and they struggled to score 17 points. Now they go back to Millbrook because it's like has proved his point. This guy's the best quarterback we have. Um, and he probably didn't do it that way. I mean, he probably viewed it as, you know, we're going to give these guys a chance and see if they can give us a spark. they didn't give us a spark, so we're going to go back to a guy that's probably the you know proven the best. And, you know, I don't know the locker room dynamic at Alabama. I'm not going to get into all that because I don't know it. But um, you, can't, you can't just – Play a guy, you can't just play Nico because the fans chanted his name in Nashville. I mean, it's just not. That's just not how it works. Oh no, 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 I'm not talking about
2: Nico.
0: I'm not talking about Nico. I'm talking about if you see the same look in that secondary, there are a couple guys who have been there for a few years now, and you consistently see the same problem.
3: Because even if he had any sort of other kind of whatever his view was on the play, that was bad effort. That was bad technique. You didn't even try to wrap him up. And it's not the only time.
2: It's not the only time right. that's happened. There, there's a link It's not to the this only case. time
3: he's hurt. Right. It's not the only time he's hurt his team by, you know, to use Ben's phrase, being a knucklehead. I mean, he's, you know, even if Trevor Etienne drags you for 10 yards, it's still a 25 yard gain and a 62 yard touchdown. I mean, there were other run plays in that game where Tennessee got split up on the defensive line, had linebacker out of the gap, but safety made the play. And frankly, you know, Jalen McCullough probably makes that play in the open field. I mean, he, uh, he at least said, gets a
0: hand on him and then tries to.
3: Uh, I think McCullough has. Is a better tackler in, in kind of that situation than and maybe he gets uh then maybe people realize he he's not as good in space when he has to read angles. Angles, yeah.
0: Angles. His angles are consistently right. bad.
3: There was not there was no angle down there. I mean he's just crashing in. I don't you know, Wesley Walker's kind of I don't want to say that his effort was bad. I mean, he you know, I wouldn't want to tackle Trevor Etienne either. He's he's kind of a hoss coming downhill at you. But um, you know, that, that was a technique issue on Walker's part, but I had him was effort, and effort is the lack of effort is something, as a, as a coach, you just can't have. Um, so, you know, that's just sort of uh, – that, that would be a guy that, that would – he wouldn't have played the rest of that game for me.
0: Yeah, I think uh, so, that's the issue with McCullough. If McCullough can keep you in front of him, he can usually get a hand on you and tackle you. His problems invariably are its angles. If anyone remembers here – am I the only person old enough here to remember Super Dave Osborne? Remember the no idea what you're, you're talking about.
1: It's not that you're super old, I just never watched it. I, okay, I don't... well
0: basically it was this old sort of comedy sketch where this guy's a daredevil and he always attempts to do these ridiculous stunts that you know are not going to work. And the guys are like, Super Dave, you're not going to be able to do that. And then Super Dave he's no, I can do it, I can do it. And then he tries to do it and he invariably falls and crashes and goes to the hospital and things was this, are bad.
3: Was this popular in the 70s by chance?
0: Uh, no, it was a little bit a little bit after that. But the point is... Early 80s then. That is... It was that's played what,
1: by the actor who was Marty Funkha- Funkhauser. Yeah, RIP, I. I
0: RIP, comedy legend. I, but I do... That's what it reminds me of with McCullough and the angles. It's like every week he's like, oh, I can cut him off here. I can cut him off here. It's like, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. And the guy just runs by. And you're like, ah, how do you not eventually adjust the angles? Like, I suck at geometry too. I get it. But like, you know, you got to... You got to know who you are. Um, but if McCall's in front of if he keeps you in front of him, he's probably going to get a hand on you and get you on the ground. He'll hit you that way. It's just that if he, you get on an angle on him, you're, you're, he's toast. But my point was that it looks like a coach doesn't know what they're doing when the same player consistently makes the same mistake and you consistently see that player. It, it's just, it's not a good look because it's either saying, you think that guy's the best chance to win games when he's not, which is not good, or that guy's still the best way for you to win games, which is also a bad look. It's not, that's one of those situations where you can't win. And I, I just, the, when you see a guy for a couple of years and it's still happening, it's like, how are you still doing this? And again, football's the ultimate team sport, guys. I don't want to pin anything on any one player. I think you could look at eight to 10 players in that, tennessee florida game for tennessee that were just so bad they made their combination of performances made winning impossible but i, I think some of the things like walker and mccullough missing a couple uh, walker and um and mcdonald missing a couple tackles i don't think you're going to see that consistently but other guys it's like this is some of the same stuff we've seen hey.
3: Well, I think it's it's a different conversation for different positions, and you know we'll we'll yes. go to the past, right? Remember when I hate to bring up Jared Garantano. I'm sorry, everyone that's listening, but everybody at the time was like, "How can this guy be the best option for Tennessee to win games?" They kept going to him. right you know, that that's the quarterback that got Jeremy Pruitt fired. Whatever, the guys, the other guys that were in that quarterback room are at Stephen F. Austin at Louisville as a walk on, and JT Shouts at Arkansas State after he. Kind of flamed out at Colorado. He was one of the hundred players that Deion replaced. Yeah, um, that that's how um, people are wondering now. You know, the, the conversation with those defensive backs is a different one because uh, again, they've made plays that have hurt te- hurt their team in the past. Hadn't especially has made um, needless plays and decisions that have hurt his team. Whether it's you know post snap penalties, whether it's just you know not looking for the ball, or whatever. Um, uh, and McCullough, you know, his deal, he's he's usually in the right position, but sometimes he doesn't make the play that's there. Uh, I think the offensive line is a great conversation because people are wondering how can it get to this point. Well, the four of the guys that they've been, three of the guys they've been starting right now are guys that they brought in because there was nobody else here. They you know they they had Darnell Wright, they had Carvin, they had Mays and Spragans. Two of those guys are you know are still here and starting. Mays has been out, but. You know, behind that, they just don't have a lot of options because the two recruiting classes that they have, the freshman got you know the freshman class right now, they're freshmen. It's hard to and it's hard to expect those guys to come in and be day one starters. Tennessee's lived in that time where they had to bring in freshmen and had to start them because they had no other choice. The Jason Robertson, Coleman Thomas days, uh, those were not very they, those didn't go very well either. Um, and, and then the 2022 class, you know, those all those guys are developmental guys. They they've not even been here two full years yet. Now, would you like to see those guys maybe be backups at this point? Probably. But, again, it's such a developmental position where, um, you know, it's hard to do. And, and, again, they they brought in Jeremiah Crawford because they needed guys. They brought him in late when they got here. they have been on the job, what was it, been like a couple of days. <laughs> they brought him in because they were recruiting him at UCF. They brought in three transfers over the past two cycles. All those guys are playing. Two of them are, you know, you're starting left side right now. So, um They've tried to address the problem. Uh, they've tried to address what they inherited, but um, you're kind of seeing past recruiting problems, you know, come up because I don't think there's anybody left from that 2021 class, right? Uh, William Parker is is at UAB now. Uh, there's other guys that never even made it here uh who was in who else was in the 2020 class rj perry is you know he left he's never made an impact here usf
0: is that where he is now i think he's with golish
3: right and you know so you know those are guys that would be juniors and seniors that are not here to help you because they're not here they were either bad evals or or you know you know whatever worked you know whatever reason it didn't work out and they went other they went down a level to to get more playing time so um, ben, I, I think this discussion that we're having about replacing guys and personnel changes, and I think it's warranted because they just had a, a loss where things didn't go right, and, and that's an easy way to change the dynamic of how you play is to put new players in. Um, it, it's just different at different positions in each situation. It's not like you can throw a blanket on, on all of it um, because each position in each situation is different.
2: Absolutely, and it, it, it does lead into this UTSA game that is very, very, very important because – Regardless, like, you've got to try and figure some of these things out, even if the, the personnel isn't maybe what you expected coming into the season. And, and who knows? Maybe the coaching staff knew what they had, and we just didn't know because we didn't see the the personnel on the field as, as much as uh, the, the coaching staff did. But you do have to start to figure these things out, and it starts this weekend. Like, to me, the, the three biggest issues coming out of that Florida loss was offensive line play, the penalties – and tackling. And this is the perfect game to figure those things out. I think the tackling was more of an outlier. Uh, we've seen most of these same players, for the most part, uh, make the tackles that they missed on Saturday against Florida. Uh, but the, the pre-snap penalties has has been a theme, maybe not every single game, but it's popped up here and there. Uh, throughout Heupel's time here at Tennessee and it was something at UCF that his teams dealt with as well Uh, and then the offensive line you'd like to think that Cooper Mays coming back just solves all those issues and I do think that he will certainly help whenever he does get back Josh Heupel talked about the biggest issue both with the offensive line play and the pre-snap penalties is communication and that's what Cooper does best is how he communicates and, and gets the offense going into a rhythm so I do think him getting back would be like a trade deadline acquisition or a free agent pickup but they also need gerald Mincy to to come around and snap out of whatever mental funk he's in because he tennessee's offensive line ceiling it, it includes at its highest gerald Mincy at right tackle it's just as simple as that um, so th- this is a good game. I said it earlier. Not an FCS opponent, not an SEC opponent. A really good football program, and, and you can kind of toy with personnel in this game to see what gives you the best fits, the best looks to maybe correct some of these mistakes. Because you you, you show up like you did in Gainesville to South Carolina next Saturday inside of Neyland Stadium, and South Carolina is more than capable of beating you, Ryan. Absolutely,
1: and that's I I think this is an important game because I mean South Carolina to me. Has become the game of the year now um, for Tennessee. I, I mean, Kentucky. At Kentucky's Missouri, pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah, those those games are important too. But to me, the one that's the, the most dangerous to Tennessee that would also be the most alarming to the fan base in a lot of ways would be losing at home to the same South Carolina team that ran Tennessee out of Williams Bryce Stadium back in November. Um, this is one that Tennessee fans have had sort of circled on their schedule for a while. They went into the season, I think most fans did, fully expecting Tennessee to win this game just like they expected to win in the swamp for the first time in 20 years to lose that one and, and finish and go into the open date three and two even um, assuming they'd be UTSA on Saturday would be pretty close to the worst case scenario. I think in most Tennessee fans minds and would really call it into question uh, for a lot of people sort of how it, how it got to this point. So I think they've really got to figure some things out this week. I, I think we'll get a much better feel of at least what this team's, ceiling is based on this performance you don't want to put too much on one game um, but you know before i think going into the season a lot of people had this as like a sandwich game where tennessee would be maybe coming off a win at florida getting ready for a big sec game next week against south carolina and then here's this potentially really dangerous group of five teams stuck in between now it looks like we you know we, we don't know if we'll see frank harris play if he does he's he's going to be banged up and that might uh, limit his uh effectiveness and you know even if you it, you do get him, UTSA's not put up a ton of points the first few weeks. Harris hasn't played his best when he's been in there and it, it, it just it doesn't look like the same UTSA team we thought it might be going into the season, but it's still a, a respectable enough opponent that you can't just go out there and assume anything and I think most importantly Tennessee can't assume anything about itself based on the way it's played the last two weeks. I mean they scored 30 against Austin P and uh, the offense didn't didn't do much in the first half uh, after that opening drive against Florida. So they've just got to get some confidence and get some some things going on, on the offensive side of the ball. And then the defense needs to show that last week was sort of an anomaly. If they can do that, I think fans will feel a lot better and be be pretty optimistic going into that South Carolina game that they they can at least you know, win that game and go on to have a solid season. If if they don't look very good Saturday night, and and I I'm not saying you know fans are just going to be ready to to, to jump off the Henley street bridge if it's that ugly, but they come out of this game with a, you know, a 10 point win and struggle to score 27 or 30 points again. And offense just looks like about the same. I think a lot of people are going to have their minds made up about this team, that it's just not, not very good. And that they're going to have a hard time even beating a team like South Carolina. So I feel like this is a really important game and they've got to get something going positively, uh, especially on offense going into that South Carolina game.
0: And word to the wise guys, as we get out of here, uh, UTSA, you know, when 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 the quarterback's healthy, he's their best guy. Um, but the, maybe the second best area, the running back's pretty good too. But that defensive line is pretty decent. They rotate eight or nine guys up front who are pretty solid players, and uh, they they probably looked at last week's film and feel decent about that matchup. And I don't I don't blame them to be well, honest. But 10, 10 yeah.
1: sacks in the first three games, I think ten yeah. sacks. So.
3: One of the guys that's questionable is, is their best pass rusher, so that yeah. that could be a big miss for them. Uh, Trey Moore, I think he had like 17 tackles for loss last season, um, and has I think he has four sacks already, um, but he got hurt last week. Uh, and, and this team's got some guys at receiver too. I mean, uh, Josh Cephas is an NFL player. Uh, Tykee Ogle Kellogg is shout out of Koa High School. Yeah, that guy's six six two twenty five. He's he's a big guy. Uh, and they also got some speed guys that can. Uh, get open and if you're Tennessee are you gonna are you gonna trust your guys to play the man against these guys are you gonna uh are you gonna maybe sit back and, and hope you can control UTSA's run game with with your front because UTSA's offense is a little bit like Tennessee. They'll spread it out, they'll throw quick game RPOs and they'll take their shots. So um I'm not gonna sit here and say that they're definitely better than Florida, but it's a different challenge from Florida. Florida didn't even really try to throw the ball down the field. These guys will take shots and um but to Ben's point, I think Bivin had a really good point where Tennessee's gotta go out and fix what what ailed them last week. That's what they. That's the first. That's the first bullet points uh, uh, going into this game. They've they've got to go out and look better. They've got to play better. Um, and if you are able to do that, then you can get your focus towards South Carolina. If you are able to get out of here with two wins, even if they're ugly, you are four and one. You have an open date. Maybe you can regroup, and figure some things out, and the, uh, and maybe it's not all doom and gloom. But uh, it starts the Saturday, and, and they've just got to go play a better. It doesn't matter if they're playing UTSA or UTEP or ETSU or any of the other acronyms they got to go out play good football, and they haven't really done that the last couple weeks.
0: And not go MIA. Get it? There you go. There you go. Yeah. Got it. Get it? Get it? Yeah, guys. I think we're in a good spot now. we got another podcast coming out to you before. We will preview the game on Saturday, of course. We will be there after the game as well with the postgame podcast, so you will hear our voices quite a bit, unfortunately, for you. But uh, I think we're at a pretty good spot now. So unless anybody's got anything else, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Wes. Bye, Wes. Thanks, Wes. It's the second time in a row that, that Pat and Ryan have said bye at the same time. What does it mean? Question mark. Question mark. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash twenty 247 You can also go to facebook.com slash govalls 247 uh, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at govals 247com You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world and with us who are on the staff Uh, and, and no one has a more... Uh, active board with the the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs and that's after a quick free trial and once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies, you get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that, for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That that is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be
1: good. See you guys.